I like to uh, introduce myself when I speak because uh, you probably haven't seen me up here. I've been a member at Forest Lake here for a little over 20 years, my wife and I. But I'm usually out there where you are. And I enjoy it out there because I get to sit back and hear some wonderful sermons by our, our pastoral staff, uh, Pastor Matt, our senior pastor, and, and the rest of the pastors. But uh, I was given the opportunity to speak today, and I see it as a, as a great honor and a great uh, responsibility. Um, the sound of silence. Uh, some of you will remember, if you're uh, of my era or before, uh, a song by that name. You remember that? The Sound of Silence. But, uh, you know, silence is something that can be positive or negative, depending on the situation. Uh, there's a saying that says, uh, silence is golden. And truly it is sometimes. It's better just to remain silent sometimes and not uh, say something that's going to hurt somebody or cause uh, some pain. Uh, what is it that grandma used to tell us? If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all, <laughs> or something along those lines. And then there's the silence uh, that we enjoy when we go to a, a beautiful place of nature, maybe a forest or uh, a seashore or something like that. And relatively speaking, it's very quiet there. Of course, you know, these days you can't get away from the occasional airplane flying over and uh, maybe some noise of uh, something happening nearby on the roadway or even the birds and, and the wind make noise. But relatively speaking, sometimes in that quiet place, you can just relax and you can kind of uh, hear yourself think. Sometimes those silence can be used as a weapon, can't it? When you have an argument with somebody and uh, you're mad at them, instead of talking it through and, and coming to some kind of a, uh, an agreement or some kind of an understanding, sometimes the old tool of uh, the silent treatment is used. I know you've never done that. But people do sometimes do that. They, they use that, you know, just to, um, to illustrate their, their displeasure with the other person. But what about when God seems silent? What about when we're in pain or we have questions, we're struggling with something and we're bewildered and we're confused and we're looking for some kind of uh, meaning to our suffering. And it seems like our, our prayers just bounce off of the ceiling. They don't go anywhere. Or God's just quiet. I saw a, a bumper sticker. I like to, to watch uh, what people put on their cars. I don't put bumper stickers on my car because I'm afraid somebody might slash my tires or, or something like that if they disagree with my bumper sticker. But I like to see what other people put on their cars. And I saw one that was of a serious note. A lot of them are funny, 
or uh, profane, but this one said, there is no hope. Now that's sad, isn't it? But do you think there are a lot of people today that feel like it's hopeless? Unfortunately, I think so. And you may have been in that place at one point. I have been in that place at, at times in my life where I felt like, well, there's just no hope. There's no answer. There's, the future looks dark and uninviting. And although it may sound wrong somehow to, to think that uh, when we're suffering, when we prayed and prayed for answers and helped us and arrive, maybe it just seems silly for me to say that God's comfort most often comes to us not with answers. You know, he doesn't write the answers in flaming letters in the sky for us to read. Or he doesn't uh, always uh, speak to us in that still small voice. But God's comfort to us often is not attached to answers, but to his presence. God's presence in our lives. How many of you have experienced some kind of a tragedy? How many of you have experienced many tragedies? That's life, isn't it? That's life in, in the, the fast lane. That's the world that we live in. Now, I'm not, I don't want this to be a, you know, a, a, a gloom and doom sermon. Uh, I don't want you to go feeling bad when you leave here thinking, wow, you know, it's hopeless. <laughs> That's, that would be a failure on my part if I did that. But what I want to do today is I want to remind us to focus on the one who does have the answers, the one who loves us and cares deeply about us, the one who someday will answer our specific questions, even if maybe when we get there to heaven, it won't, those issues won't seem as uh, severe as they are now. But we've all had things happen that have really felt like the rug has been pulled out from under our feet. Life has knocked us down and taken our breath away. I remember several years ago, I got a phone call from uh, our oldest son. He was living in the Collegedale, Tennessee area. And he called, which was not unusual, but this time it was uh, a very serious call. And I could tell by the tone of his voice that there was something bad that had happened. He told me that an airplane, a small airplane, twin-engine propeller-driven airplane had crashed in the Collegedale area and everyone on board, except one person, I don't know that he knew that at the time, but that's how it ended up, everyone on board was killed. Some of you may remember this tragedy. It was the leadership group or some of the leaders of the Georgia Cumberland Conference. and. Um, Apparently on takeoff, one of the engines failed and the pilot didn't have the altitude to be able to turn around and they went into the trees. And as a result of the fire and uh, the trauma from the crash, every one of those servants of God, those men of God lost their lives. And my friend, my, uh, my buddy that I had gone to academy with and 
uh, college with. We, were, we studied Greek together. And any, anybody that has taken Greek knows you need a good friend when you go through that. But uh, David Kress, who was the conference president at the time, was killed. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And I thought to myself, God, why would you allow something like this to happen? I mean, these men are your servants. They're working for you. And this happens. Well, God didn't tell me why that happened. He didn't give me the answers for it. But this is, this is the world that we live in, isn't it? This is what happens. And then there are people that come along and they try to give us the answers. You, you've experienced that, right? Well, this is why it happened. It probably happened because such and such and such and such. Or, well, it, I think God was probably doing this when this happened. And it's usually not helpful to hear that, is it? It's usually not helpful because we don't know why it happened. There's a lot of mystery in life. When I was a chaplain uh, years ago at uh, Advent Health, I often would talk to patients who wanted answers as to why they had cancer or why they were dying from a, a brain tumor or why their child was not gonna survive. And the world is just full of mystery. We don't know, we don't understand. Sometimes it's tempting to want to fix people's problems, isn't it? We, we care about our friends and our family and we want to fix it. We want to tell them why things are as they are, but we don't have the answers. But what we can do is that we can give people ourselves. We can give them our presence. That's a gift, time, and a non-judgmental attitude with others who are suffering is a gift to them. Let's never forget that. It's, it's not a waste of time. It's not not doing anything. It's actually the best thing that you can do. Yes, prayer is important, but just being with them, putting your arm around them, just telling them that you love them and that you care. You don't have to give them the answers because you probably don't have the answers, but you can be there with them. I'm so thankful for the Word of God, for the, the Bible that gives us so much good counsel and encouragement. Sometimes it corrects us, but this is the source that we have for living our lives. This is what God has given us so that we can live in the good times, which God gives us plenty of those, but we can also get through the tough times with the Word of God. And I would encourage you, if you're not spending time reading God's Word, find a, find a way to do that. Find uh, something that works for you and spend time with the Word of God because that will strengthen you and it will equip you and prepare you for the trauma that will come from time to time in your life. One of my favorite books when it comes to thinking about the trauma and the trouble that uh, we sometimes have to experience in life is the book of Job. Job knew what it meant to suffer, didn't he? In fact, we have a saying today, we talk about the, the patience of Job. And certainly he was pretty patient. And yet, when we 
read the experience he had and the conversation he had with God, it didn't seem that he was so patient. And it's hard to be patient when you're hurting, when you're suffering. And if we're honest, we're going to uh, admit that. It's tough, tough to be patient when times are difficult. You know the story probably. Job was a very wealthy man. He had great possessions, flocks and herds, and that's how you measured your wealth in that day. You didn't have big bank accounts, but if you had lots of sheep and goats and donkeys and camels, you were a rich and wealthy person. Job had all that. He had sons and daughters, sounds like quite a few of them, in whom he delighted. I only have two sons and I love them very much. Job had lots of sons and daughters. And uh, he had other possessions. And you remember what happened? First raiders came and stole the flocks and herds. Then uh, some other tragedies occurred. And the one that probably hurt the most was when a storm came and blew down the house, collapsed the house that his children were in and killed every one of them. And then to top it all off, Job got sick. He developed a terrible, loathsome disease that caused eruptions, uh, sores to come out on his body. What, what more could have happened to poor Job? Then Job's friends, you remember the story? Job's friends came along and uh, they started out pretty well. They were there and they were silent for some time, just there hanging out with Job, just being with him. And I know in my own life when I'm hurting and I just have my friends and my family there with me, I feel better. Even though the problem hasn't gone away, but just having those people that are close to me means a great deal. But these friends later decided that Job needed answers and they had them. And they told him that the reason that this has all happened was that he was a, a bad guy. He was a sinner. Must be because all these bad things happened. Of course, people don't think like that anymore, do they? I'm afraid they do. Even today, there are people that uh, will say, well, he got cancer because uh, he was eating meat instead of the veggie foods or uh, you name it, and people come up with what they think are the answers to why such and such a thing happened to a person. So Job, you must have offended God in some way, and now he's punishing you for it. That could only, that's the only way it could, it could be because you're suffering. So we find Job suffering terribly, physically, emotionally, and now his so-called friends come and they don't help him. Job answers his three friends as the story goes on and he tells them that it's not because he has done something wrong that this is happening to him. And he was right about that, absolutely right. He told them that his sins had nothing to do with his suffering. His sins had not come upon him because he had made foolish choices or he was rebellious against God's plan. But his friends 
urged him to accept the fact that this was God's way of getting payback for his sins. How terrible, God getting payback for his sins. I don't believe God works that way, friends. I don't believe God is looking for a way to squash us because we make mistakes, because we sin. Now, it is true that we make choices sometimes that result in suffering. We have to admit that. But God is not looking for ways to make our lives miserable. God loves us. God has created a world for us in which we were to enjoy and to be full of joy about. The Bible tells us Job was seen by God as a righteous man. Yes, a righteous man in his suffering. You see, the argument that Job's three so-called friends gave for his suffering is the same argument that Satan has been using and deceiving the world with that, and that is that God is against us. God is the one who is responsible for our pain. God is the one that is uh, causing all of the trouble. But in fact, it's the enemy that is doing that, as we know. Job ended up accusing God of two different things. He says, you don't really care for me, God. And even if you do, you're not able to care for me. Sometimes in the midst of our pain, we may think that way too. We may think that, you know, God must not be very powerful because if he were, he could stop this from going on or he could have prevented it from happening in the first place. God, do you really care about me? Are you really in control of the world and, and my world? And Job felt so extreme, he was in such extreme pain and distress that he said, God, it, it would have been better if you had not even created me. I should have died when I was being born. Friends, that's real discouragement, that's real pain. But instead of God punishing Job for saying that, instead of God saying, well, you don't have any right to think that way or feel that way, God knew where Job was coming from. He knew, he knew that Job was speaking out of his extremity. He loved Job and he allowed Job to speak and to vent his emotions his frustrations, his bewilderment about what was going on, and his anger. Job cried out in chapter 31, verse 35, Oh, that I had one to hear me. Let the Almighty answer me. Have you ever felt that way? I have. God, why don't you, why don't you tell me what's going on? Why don't you answer me? I've prayed and prayed and prayed. I've asked you for help, for direction, for understanding, and I'm still hurting. Now, God did answer Job, but the way he answered him was not with the answers, but with questions. Now, that seems awfully strange, doesn't it? Instead of God saying, well, now, look, here are the reasons why you're suffering. 
One, two, three, four, five. No, God asked Job a bunch of questions. He asked him about his understanding of the world and the universe. Job, do you have the understanding that I do? Do you understand why things work as they do? And he went on and he talked about his creation. Do you understand why the animals are born when they're born and how they behave? And do you understand why the sea uh, only comes up so far and stops? He reminded Job of who was in charge and in control. I remember back during the time when uh, 9-11 occurred, I was a chaplain at one of our hospitals in the area. And uh, I noticed that our staff was gathered around some television camera or televisions in the emergency department, which was near my office. I thought maybe that uh, they were having a, a, an emergency of some kind because the staff usually gathers when there's a, a person that is on the brink of death. So I went down there to see if I could help and they were all watching the television screen and you know the rest. And it was so upsetting and so strange that one of the administrators asked if I would talk to the staff that wanted to in our chapel. So that's what we did. We gathered everybody in the chapel. I don't remember exactly what I told them as far as the short presentation that I had, except I do remember telling them that I believed that even though it looked like our world was out of control, things were happening that had never happened before. We couldn't make any sense out of it. We didn't know exactly who was doing it or why they were doing it at the time. But I believe that God was and is in control. Friends, if we lose that hope, we are indeed hopeless. We are without hope because we must believe that God has his hand on the wheel, that God is in control of this crazy place that we live. But it is very human of us to say in these moments of pain, God, you must not care because if you really care and love me like the Bible says you do, you would have never allowed this to happen. Why, God, why? That's what Job was saying by raising the questions he raised. But God answered and said, Job, if you look around, if you look at my creation, if you see the order, if you see the precision, if you see the beauty and the, uh, the organization and, and the intricacy, uh, the minute details, the beauty, you'll know that I am in control, not only of everything around you, but of your life. I, God says, am in control. Has your life ever been out of control? Maybe you feel that way today. Maybe you doubt God's ability to make sense out of your own life right now. It's natural to be tempted to believe that God must either be uncaring or impotent and that he just leaves us stewing in our own juices as the vicissitudes of life take their toll on our peace and sense of well-being. 
But God, in his encounter with Job, does not give him 70 answers, but he asks those 70 questions. And Job finally comes to the place where he says, ah, yes, I see, I understand now. In fact, he says, God, I repent. I repent in dust and ashes. And he even says, behold, I am an insignificant. What can I reply to thee? I lay my hand on my mouth. Job is saying, there's nothing I can say because you're right. You are in control and you are in control of my life. Job had a change of mind about how God's character makes it obvious that he is in control of our lives and of the world. God gave, or yes, God gave Job no answers. He just gave Job his presence. Is there any comfort when the answers are not forthcoming? Most of life is spent in that particular place, isn't it? We don't have the answers. I just uh, saw something in the social media where someone in a family was asking for prayers because their daughter and her three daughters were killed by a drunk driver recently. Why? Why did such a terrible thing happen? We don't have the answer. But God comes and he gives us his presence in times of utter grief and when we just feel destroyed because of things that have happened. You know, there's always room for doubt. God gives us that room. He gives us the ability to doubt. If we choose to entertain the idea that God doesn't care and that he's not working in this world and in our lives, he allows us to hold that opinion. But there is abundant evidence in the Bible and in our own life experience to base our faith upon God's goodness. Can you trace God's presence, his activity in your own life as you look back on your experience? I hope you can. I hope you can see God's hand, his intervention in your life. You know, we're living in a time when it is fashionable and seemingly scientific to call into question everything having to do with God and religion. Have you noticed that? The image of God in the 21st century, unfortunately, in many cases, is a perverted one. The common image that many hold of God is almost unrecognizable from the God of the scriptures. The God of today or the God of many people today, is a God that closely resembles themselves. If I were God, I would have done it this way. We have forgotten God's awesome transcendence, his power, his might, his ability to save to the uttermost. Not only is God alive and well, he is in control of all of life's circumstances even the circumstances of my life and your life. Does that mean God is a puppeteer and making us do whatever he wants? Of course not. 
God values our freedom of choice. He values the gift of autonomy that he gave us from the beginning. He wants our love from a heart that loves him and responds to him, his goodness and his kindness. Our God is not the weak, wavering, indecisive, impotent deity that some make him out to be. He is the almighty God, the ruler of all, the one who comes close to those who seek him. He is the one who is near in time of trouble. The choice is ours today as to how we react to the tragedies and the trauma that comes. God is always there. God is always present, whether we can see him through our tear-dimmed eyes or not. He's close by. About 49 years ago, just a little ways across the campus, I was a new student at Forest Lake Academy. I was 16 years old. I had never attended a Seventh-day Adventist school before, and so I didn't know anybody much at the, at the academy. I knew my roommate. I was a dormitory student. I knew him just a little bit, but I was in a, in a place that I felt alone. Now, call me a mama's boy. Uh, I, I remember last week uh, in the sermon, uh, the pastor mentioned that he was a mama's boy. Well, I am too. I'm very close to my mother, and um, I missed home. I missed uh, her cooking. I missed her doing my laundry. <laughs> I missed a lot of things about home. And I remember feeling so miserable that I got on the phone and I called her and I said, Mom, I don't want to stay here. I, I want to come home. And my uh, dad, who at the time was not a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, and he didn't really understand why it was important for us to attend an Adventist school when we had a good public school right there, and you didn't have to pay tuition. But my mom, being the persuasive person that she is, finally talked Dad into letting us go to the academy. But here I was, miserable, on the phone, begging to come home. Fortunately, my mom uh, is not, all, uh, not just persuasive, but she's tough. And she said to me, you can't come home. You haven't given it enough time. You've only been there a few days. You've got to give it time. Well, I didn't like hearing that, but I knew that she was right. I knew that God wanted me at Forest Lake Academy. I was convinced of that, but I was miserable. And because of that, mom came with my grandmother, who I was also very close to, and they even brought the family cat to cheer me up. <laughs> and I was sitting on the hood of the car out there in front of the boys' dormitory that doesn't exist anymore, but I was sitting out there on the hood of the car feeling really sorry for myself, tears coming down my face. And you know, when you're a 16-year-old male, you don't cry in front of people. But I was pretty miserable. And uh, even worse, here come the principal of the school walking right by and he noticed that something was wrong. And he stopped and, you know, I was just feeling really embarrassed. But mom and grandma and the cat left and it was time for me to head back to the dorm. Just a short walk between where I was in the parking lot and the, the guy's dormitory. And I prayed a prayer. I, I'll never forget this. 
This is one of the few times when God has answered my prayer immediately. Have you had that happen? God answered your prayer immediately. And that's happened, that happened for me that day. I said, God, I know you want me here at Forest Lake Academy, but I don't wanna be here. I'm miserable, I'm lonely, I'm scared. I don't know anybody. And friends, at that moment, I kid you not, at that moment, I knew I was gonna make it. Didn't hear a voice, didn't see anything in the sky. God spoke to my heart and he told me that he was with me and that he was gonna be with, he was gonna help me. God cares, friends. And he asks us to trust him, even when things don't make any sense. You remember the old hymn, only trust him? Only trust him, only trust him, only trust him now. In the midst of your pain and confusion, yes. Trust him now. He will save you, he will save you. He will save you now. Now, the, the trouble may not disappear immediately. You may not feel better immediately, but you can know that God is walking with you now, today. Look to him, fellow Christian, when the waves get high and threaten to swamp the vessel, your vessel, on the sea of life. While you may not understand all the circumstances that bring the pain into your life, you can understand that there is, one, there is one who hears your cries for help. There is one who loves you and cares for you and me. There is one who is at the helm of your life ship and will pilot you to safely, safety and peace if you will only trust him. Let's trust him as we live our lives in a very difficult time, in a time of uncertainty, in a time of confusion, in a time of pain, and know that God loves us and he will soon be here to solve all of our problems and to have us with him for eternity. Praise his holy name.